This is the Life Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. It's good to see you all here today. You know, this week I had a very interesting uh, conversation with my daughter. She's four years old. Um, I don't know, parents, if you've ever had this, where your par- where your kid just it's past bedtime and they're just nailing you with all these theological questions about the universe and about God. And Evie says, "We're laying in bed." She goes, "Dad, where's heaven?" I go, "Well, um, nobody." really knows necessarily where it is, but you know, there's the planets, and then there's planets beyond our planets, and stars, that's the universe, and beyond there, you know, is maybe where heaven is, and that's where God sits on the throne, and Jesus is at his right hand, and she goes, well, but there's only one God. I said, well, yeah, there's only one God, but, uh, you know, Jesus and God, they're like one, and they're different, but one. You're trying to explain the Trinity to a four-year-old when you don't understand it ourselves. I said, you know, they're they're one, but let's talk more about heaven. Heaven is this awesome place, and, uh, you know, there's not going to be any more crying in heaven. There's not going to be any more sickness in heaven. It's going to be so amazing. We're not going to make bad choices in heaven. She goes, but one guy, that one guy made a bad choice in heaven. I said, what guy is that? She goes, well, the guy with the the fire all around him. go, yeah. I guess, I guess he did make a bad choice, didn't he? Are you talking about Lucifer or Satan? She goes, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. Well, God is making a new heaven and a new earth, and there there's not going to be any, any bad choices. And I said, isn't that awesome? She goes, yeah, that's awesome. And um, I said, you know, and that's why someday, Evie, you'll make a choice. You'll ask Jesus into your heart. And she goes, well, but Jesus lives in heaven. Well, you see, there's this third guy, (laughs) the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, Jesus died on the cross, and then he went to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us. Isn't that awesome? She goes, yeah. Look, Dad, I can make a rainbow with my hand. (laughs) So I was like, awesome. (laughs) It's... it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to, to see how much you understand the gospel and what we believe, because all those are great questions, and all questions that there are answers for. However, it's a four-year-old, and it's 45 minutes past bedtime, and you're trying to answer a question to, uh, you know, satisfy their curiosity without opening up a new can of worms and saying, well, well, Evie, let's talk a little bit more about regeneration that happens at Southern <laughs> But we've been in this series entitled Peeled, What's Under Your Skin. Uh, next week and the week after, Pastor Rich will be concluding this series with gentleness and self-control. And uh, it's been an awesome time to really uncover the different uh, fruit of the Spirit. Um, and we've been talking about how the fruit of the Spirit is not something in which we necessarily strive for. It's not something we try really, really hard to attain, but it comes from the natural overflow of a relationship with Jesus, a healthy relationship with God. And the, the, natural, um, the natural conclusion is that that fruit is, is born in your life. And so this morning, we have the um, opportunity to explore faithfulness in a, in a greater way. And I just love, I love hearing um, those testimonies that Pastor uh, Wayne was talking about this morning. That those are firsthand accounts of, of people who cried out to the Lord and, and God answered because he's faithful. And in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2, Paul says that, that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful, because he cannot deny himself. 
God can't help himself. He's just faithful. Even if we screw up, even if, even if we fail, God is still faithful. And I don't know about you, I want to be more like him. I want, to, I want to exemplify Christ in a greater measure in my life. But the thing about faithfulness, as we explore it a little bit more today, is that one of the unique attributes of faithfulness is that it requires responsibility on our part to see the fruit of faithfulness come to fruition. There, it requires us to do something. It requires action. Now, God changes our desires God gives us the strength and ability to do things, but there's still a choice that we make. Because the supreme ethic of heaven is love, and so within love, there has to be choice. There has to be choice. Otherwise, we're just these mindless robots not not knowing what we're doing. But there has to be a choice. And faithfulness requires a choice. Even though God enables us, he gives us, we have a choice to move forward, to push on and, and, and move forward. And this morning, I want to look a deeper look into the life of Paul, the apostle, that we read about in the New Testament. Because with Paul, um, we get a perspective that we don't get with all the other characters in the Bible. Um, We get a really complete picture of his life, or more so than the others. We see his life unfold in the book of Acts through the eyes of Luke, the telling of of the story of Paul from his, his, his life as a Pharisee where he was a killer of Christians the first Christians. We read about Stephen at his feet being put to death. We read about his radical transformation that comes when his salvation on the road to Damascus and with Ananias. And then we read about his missionary journeys and all the persecution he endured and the churches that he planted. We have this amazing picture of a man. But not only that, we have all these letters that Paul wrote. We have Romans and First and Second Corinthians. We have Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians and um, Philippians. I think I remembered that one. And First and Second Timothy and Philemon. We have all these books, these letters that he wrote. It's not only do we have this picture, this like biography of him, but we have all these letters that he wrote. It's, it's insight into who Paul was as a man. It's his heart, his mind, the things that he valued. And here we see Paul as a man. He's not this godlike figure. He's not this perfect person. We see a man who's at times struggled with loneliness and discouragement when his friends deserted him or when he was in prison or times where, where he extremed, uh, experienced extreme suffering for the gospel. And yet he pushed on. He continued on. We see incredible, um, incredible wisdom and insight. What was important to Paul? So this morning, we're going to look um, specifically at 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Timothy. That's towards the end of the Bible. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I thought all the books in the Bible were in alphabetical order. And I learned later that that is not true. (laughs) Not close. Um, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is uh, a real gem of a book because... This is Paul's last letter. This is just before Paul is beheaded in Rome. He's in prison, and he's writing this book to his spiritual son, Timothy. Paul was never married. He never had a family. And so we we have this this man, Timothy, who is like his protege. He traveled all over the place with Paul, uh, planted churches with Paul, experienced persecution and imprisonment and, and beatings with Paul. And Paul looked at him as a son. And 
we can kind of look at this book as Paul seeing this young man in which he has this deep care and affection and love for and saying, if I never see you again, these are the things that I want you to know. In the book, he, at the end, he says, come see me quickly. We don't find out if, if they ever meet again, but it's his, it's his charge to Timothy. It's an encouragement, his exhortation to, Chim- to Timothy. Continue on, keep going, don't get off track, be a good steward. We see a really raw Tim, uh, Paul at times where he talks about how, how Timothy has such a genuine faith that his, his mother and his grandmother had it as well. And he knows that Timothy is, is, is grieving the, 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 the fact that Paul is imprisoned. And it, he says it brings him great joy to know that he has such an advocate in, in Timothy. So this morning, we're going to look at this, the book of 2 Timothy kind of as a whole. We don't have the opportunity because of the short time that we have to look at, uh, to, to go through it with a fine comb that it deserves, but we're going to uh, pull out some key scripture here and look at some different charges that Paul gives Timothy, but I believe that are applicable to us today. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, I believe Paul is saying to Timothy and saying to us today is, be a good steward. In verse 6, Paul says, therefore I remind you. I like that phrase because it, he's, he's essentially saying, remember, Timothy, I've told you this a hundred times, a hundred times. Remember, you can remember, maybe you can remember growing up something that your parents said to you a hundred times. I remember in baseball, I could hear my dad, whether he was at the game or not, I could hear him, keep your head down and your, and your elbow up. Keep your, he- <laughs> keep your head down, keep your head down. Even if he wasn't there, he reminded me a hundred times. Paul's saying, Remember, don't forget. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Paul's saying, telling Timothy, you have these giftings, you have these calls upon your life, you have these things in which I've commissioned you with when I laid my hands on you and sent you out. Be a good steward of those things. Be a good steward of those things. Cultivate those things. Cause them to grow. Cause them to increase and expand. It's interesting that the very next thing after he, he encourages him to fan and to flame those gifts, the next thing he, he, he addresses is fear. Because, honestly, that's what happens with us. God says, hey, I want you to go do this. I want you to go befriend your neighbor. And we say, well, what if they reject me? Or I want you to step out in boldness into this new endeavor. But what if I fail? I want you to give sacrificially to this this thing. But what if, God, what if you don't provide for me? And all of a sudden we get into this cycle of what if, what if, what if, what if. And fear sets in. And Paul gives us an accurate picture of what fear does. Since God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. That means that power is in opposition to fear. Fear makes us powerless. It paralyzes us. It causes us to stand still and to do nothing. We become victims under fear. Fear causes us to doubt, to doubt the love and, and, and protection and provision of the Father. Fear causes us to, gives us the inability to think clearly. When we make decisions in fear, they're often wrong because we have a distorted view of reality. But Paul said, God's not giving you that fear. God's not giving it. He's actually giving you a spirit of power and love and sound mind. 
So be a good steward. Fan into flame those gifts that God has given you. You know, in these uh, biblical times, in villages, they would have... um, a per- they would have a big fire in the middle of, of their village, and they would have someone that they would call the coal keeper in that village. And it was their, their job to make sure that fire never went out because everyone in the village depended on that fire. Because every night, uh, most people, as they slept, that fire would go out. And so as that, that coal keeper would manage the fire and c- continued on, every morning he would load this bucket full of, of these hot coals, and he would go around to each, each home and pass out these these coals. And these people would take their coals inside and they would fan them into flame and they would give them fuel until it became a fire that was useful. But that coal keeper did not come in to their house and make the fire for them. He provided the coals and they had to steward those coals and make them and and cultivate them and, and expand them and cause them to be something that was useful. And so it is. God gives you these things. God gives us resources. God gives us giftings, talents, whatever it is. God calls us into things, but we have a responsibility to steward them well. 23 years ago, um, today actually, uh, my parents got married. And uh, that day I inherited two brothers and, and one sister, whether I liked it or not. And my middle st- um, brother, he his name is Jeremy. He's my age. And him and his wife live out in Las Vegas. When he was two years old, he contracted bacterial meningitis and um, lost all of his hearing in one ear and, and most of his hearing in his other. And so without the aid of, of, of hearing it, he, he can't, couldn't hear anything. And so obviously he was in lots of pe- uh, speech pathology classes and uh, had to really, really work at, at communicating. And... When my parents got married, it honestly was something that was really annoying for us because um, he kind of used it to his advantage. So when his mom was scolding him or yelling at him, he would just turn his hearing aid off and just turn around. (laughs) And we're like, that's just not fair. Or he had this alarm that was like this super high-pitched sound. It was just, and so loud, it was horrendous. And he thought it was funny to go hide it around the house in various places so it would go off at uh, different times of day or night. It was hilarious. <clears throat> I remember in football in high school, he, uh, it was our first day of varsity practice, and he didn't wear his hearing aid during f- football practice, and he was going and going and going, and the whistle had blown. He's still going, he's still going, and they're saying, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. The coach comes up behind him and hits him on the, the back of the shoulder pad. Jeremy turns around and goes, Jeremy, are you deaf or just stupid? He goes, well, I'm deaf. <laughs> And so he made light of a, a situation. But, you know, in junior high, Jeremy was at a camp, much like our, our students were at this week. And in that camp, God called him um, to a ministry of preaching. And in his mind, I'm sure he was like, God, how can I preach? I have difficulty communicating. Who's going li- to listen to someone um, who can't hear? Later that night, a youth leader confirmed that call in his life. And Jeremy began to steward this call that was placed upon his life. He began to work diligently at communicating, at, at, at speaking so people could understand. You know, a year and a half ago, Jeremy and his wife, they planted a church in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, they have over 400 people coming. It's one of the fastest growing church plants in the nation. And it's not just because Jeremy is a very polished speaker. He is. You wouldn't even know that he couldn't hear but it's because when we step out in obedience and faithfulness to God, there's a, there's a, 
There's an anointing that comes upon your life. That God's spirit is with every word. And now there's people, hundreds of people that have come to know Jesus because of the faithfulness that Jeremy has shown in his life that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. You know, this next um, September, he's speaking at the National Ark Conference, which is an international organization for church planting. Incredible testimony of faithfulness to a call. We need to be good stewards. The second thing is this. We need to stay on track. Stay on track. In chapter 2, in verse 15, Paul says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Paul's saying, be diligent, stay on track, be a worker that is approved by God. That means that you're doing and thinking the things that, that God is. We're set forth on the, on, the, on the track and the path that God has set forth, and we're not being swayed by all these things. In chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul goes on and he says, but know this, that in the last, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to our parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiveness, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but deny its power. From such people turn away. Paul's saying there's all these things in this world that are going to be vying for your affection, vying for your attention. But stay focused. Keep an eye. Turn away from those things. Turn towards Jesus. Continue on towards Jesus. Don't get wrapped up in all the different arguments and debates that are going on. You know, we live in a divisive time. And I know probably every generation can, see that, can say that. And I know we're living in it, so it just maybe seems a little bit more amplified. But we live in very divisive times where the desire to be right is greater than the desire to show grace and mercy. The desire to prove a point is greater than the desire to listen and understand. And as believers, you know, we are called to a ministry of reconciliation, to a gospel of reconciliation. And, you know, there's been times where I've been grieved in my heart as I've watched Christians say things and do things that I don't believe Jesus would have any part of. In the, all in the attitude of opinion, making their opinion known, Winning an argument. All of it takes our eyes off of what we were put on this planet to do, and that is to show people the love of God. Show, represent Jesus to a world that desperately needs to taste and see that the Lord is good. And I'm not saying we dilute the message, and I am not saying that we, we, we lower the standard of God's truth. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying that we can live to a higher ethic than winning, just winning an argument and being wise in our own opinion. You know, I did campus ministry for 12 years at the, you know, different universities. And here at the University of Iowa, um, I served in, we had a grad student. Her name was Alyssa. And one of her classes, they had to, the professor gave them the project, that, which was to, um, interview somebody that had the, the opposite beliefs that you had. And so she thought, oh, this will be great, but 
a woman in her class name, we'll just call her Jess, she came up to, to Alyssa and said, I need to interview somebody with the opposite beliefs as, as I do, and you're a Christian, so I need, to, I need to interview a Christian. Do you know anybody? And she goes, oh, yeah, I know a guy. And so she comes to me, and she says, hey, tells me the project, and said, she asked if she could meet and interview somebody, and so I gave her your name. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And uh, so Jess emailed me, and she said, I would, uh, I'd like to interview you for this project and outline the project for me. And I said, well, I'm not interested in an interview, uh, but if you want to talk and have a conversation, I would love to do that. So she said, sure. And so we met at a coffee shop. I remember she sat down. She threw her bag down. She had this big notepad of all these questions she had written out. She said, hi, I'm Jess. And I said, hi, I'm Tony. Good to meet you. She said, okay, first question. Why do Christians hate homosexuals? And I thought, whoa. <laughs> okay, wow. Um, that, you know, that is a great, great question. I don't agree with that, but you know what? Uh, that's a great question. I, th- I think maybe it would be good for us to just get to know each other a little bit before we start talking about some of these really big questions, you know? I said, because it's easy for us to sit across a table from one another it makes us make assumptions about one another based on a stance of an, on an issue that we, we've taken. We can categorize each other. Oh, he believes this about this. That means he's like this and vice versa. I said, but I'd just like to get to know you a little bit. So I asked her about her life, and she told me she grew up in a broken home. Her, her father was not a part of her life. She was severely wounded and hurt by the church at a young age, and that was one of the things that was a catalyst for her to not believe in God at all. She told me how she came to meet her partner and their, about their relationship. And then she asked me about my life. I, sh- I shared, I, I too came from a broken home. And my, my mother, you know, took her own life when I was a young man. And, you know, I, I fell into addictions. And when I was 20 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And he, he changed my life. A year later, he healed me of depression and suicidal thoughts and addictions. I went and talked about my life in ministry and um, about how I had seen countless people set free from all sorts of things. I see countless people healed right in front of my eyes of all sorts of things. And how God is so loving. God is so loving. God is so loving. You know, I believe the Holy Spirit could do so much more work than I can. That if we just give the Holy Spirit an opportunity, an open door, he can, he can penetrate the hardest of hearts. And so then... We had gotten to know each other a little bit more. I could feel her pain, and she could feel my pain. We talked about all these different things in life, and we talked for a long time. And then we could talk about some of these difficult issues and still disagree. And we came to the end of our conversation. She hadn't written one thing down because we were just two friends talking. And I said, you know, Jess, in our world, we like to believe, or what, what, what tends to happen is that if we disagree with one another, we're enemies. But under the banner of Jesus, under this banner of love, we can disagree all about all sorts of things and still be in relationship. I said, I could, I could see you walking down the street and I would stop and talk with you. I'd love to have you and your partner over for supper. I would love to 
should be your friend. And she said, I have never met a Christian like you before. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. They went to their, uh, back to their class and reported, and uh, many of the students in the class were atheists, and so they had also um, interviewed Christians, and the reports that came back were just that Christians are hateful, and whether it was just their interpretation or not, I don't know. said, Christians are hateful, Christians are mean, Christians are bigots. And Alyssa got up in front of the class and she's weeping before the class and said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry that Christians have done some of these things that you're talking about. I'm so sorry that that's happened, but it's just not true that all Christians are like this. Because the sentiment in the class had come to an uproar of people were like, well, if I had to do a project with a Christian, I would rather fail than, 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 than have to be in a project with them. Or if I had to sit next, I wouldn't even want to sit next to a Christian or live next to a Christian. And Alyssa's there weeping, I'm so sorry. It's just not true. And then Jess gets up and stands next to Alyssa and says, you know, I have felt the same way that you guys have, but it's just simply not true. There are some probably that are like this, but I've met Alyssa and I met Tony, and they're not like that. And they gave me hope, and they're changing my mind about who God is and who his people is. You know, it's not my job to argue anyone into the kingdom. We make a lot of, we make the minors majors instead of just staying focused on why were you put on this planet? We are here to represent Jesus. And that doesn't mean we don't have opinions. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about these things or avoid them. But it's all under the banner of love, grace, mercy, Jesus. We need to stay on track and not get distracted by all the things that are happening in this world. Stay focused on what it is we're here to do. The last thing is this. Paul, I believe, is saying to Timothy and saying to us today, don't quit. Don't quit. At the end of the book in chapter 4, Paul says this to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and all longsuffering and teaching. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will not, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, so that you do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He said, even if everybody else turns away, even if everybody else is turning their ears away to fables and, and the truth, even if everybody is saying they're Christian by name only but denying its power, you continue on. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill what God has placed you on this planet to do. Don't quit. Keep going. Paul continues on in verse 6, and he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have called or who have loved his appearing. Imagine as Paul's in prison, he's got shackles on his hands and his feet. He's writing these words. And he's looking at his body. He's looking at the scars. He's remembering the sleepless nights on prison floors or 
on the ground in the wilderness. He's thinking about all the churches that he planted, the, the people that he's come to know and love. He's looking at his journey and he's saying, I, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've run well. You see, it doesn't matter how well you run unless you finish well. Unless you finish well. This last May, <coughs> all the pastors, we had the opportunity to go, to go to a conference in Minneapolis, and one of the speakers there was a pastor named Rick Bissett. And Rick shared this story about when he got to meet uh, Dr. Billy Graham. It was about a year and a half before he died, but at that time, um, Dr. Graham wasn't doing well with his health, and so him and his whole team, they thought any moment, any day, he's, he's going he's gonna to pass on. So it's kind of a waiting game. Everybody's kind of waiting. That any day now, it's going to happen. And so the lady asked Rick, would you like to meet Billy Graham? And he said, oh, my gosh, of course. I would love to meet him. Well, sorry you can't. He's really sick. She's like, okay. <laughs> said, well, if you come back, or if, I'll call you in a couple weeks if he's feeling better and you can fly in. So he said, okay. She said, but there still might not be a chance that you could meet with him, but you could still come. Do you want to take that chance? How many of you would take that chance? I would. So a couple weeks goes by, and they get a call from his assistant. She says, he's feeling a lot better, and uh, if you come, there's a good chance that you could see him. So they flew in, and they kind of waiting at the hotel for the, the call. I said, he, finally, they get a call, and he said, Dr. Graham has just woken up from a nap, and he He's feeling well enough to see you. So here's his address. He said he drives to Dr. Billy Graham's house, and there's no cars out front. There's nobody there. And he said, we didn't give any instructions. And so he said, we walked to the front door. We knocked on the door. Nobody came. He knocked again. Nobody came. He said, I opened the door to Dr. Billy Graham's house. He said, I felt like I was robbing Billy Graham. <laughs> he said, I was walking in and said, Dr. Graham? <laughs> Dr. Graham, are you here? They go in a little further, yelling his name, and finally there he is, Dr. Billy Graham sitting by the window. He's too weak to raise his voice, and so Rick says that he, he goes over to, um, to Billy Graham, and he says, Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham, it's such an honor to meet you. In 1981, I gave my life to Jesus at a crusade in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, when you spoke. Thank you for your obedience. I, got, I want to always, always wanted to ask you, how long did it take you to prepare your sermons? Dr. Graham said, well, I've, I've been preparing my sermons my whole life. And Rick said, whoa, this is going to be good. <laughs> he said, sir, you have had such a great family, or such a good family and such a great marriage. What's the key to marriage? What would you tell a young guy like me? And Billy Graham says, do everything your wife tells you. But he said, sir, You've lived with such integrity, such character. You've been an influencer of the nations. You've met with world leaders and presidents. And millions and millions of people have given their life to Jesus because of your life. And how did you do that with such integrity and humility? Billy Graham looked at him in the eyes and he said, I'm about to die. My time is coming to an end. Nobody's calling me to speak anymore. My date book is clear. My phone doesn't ring. 
He said, I knew that one day this, day this would come. One day this day would come. He said, but every day I lived my life with the end in view because I knew it would come. And so every day I lived with that end in view because it doesn't matter how you enter the world, it matters how you exit. And he says, Dr. Graham, would you pray for me? Would you please pray, pray over my life? And Dr. Graham said, of course, I would love to pray for you, but would you pray for me as well? And he's like, what am I supposed to pray for Billy Graham? He just told me he's going to die. I don't know what to pray for him, you know. And he said, just, just pray that I finish well. I don't want to mess it up right at the end. And you think, man, if Billy Graham doesn't make it, <laughs> we're all going down. <laughs> <I was> like, <clears throat> God enables us. He gives us strength to push forward in faithfulness. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. No matter if you're just beginning the journey or just ending the journey, wherever you are, continue on in faithfulness. People's lives will be affected because of the faithfulness that you've, you've held in your life. Let's stand across this place. I think there's some of us here this morning that you've kind of, maybe you've been on the brink of quitting in any number of things. Maybe it was your marriage. Maybe it was something that just is too difficult and you just want to throw in the towel. Or maybe it's just life in general. You're just like, I just want to, I'm just going to give up and sink into indifference. Don't quit. Keep going. Maybe some of you here today, you just feel like you're, you're kind of off track. You've, you've gotten distracted by different things. You've gotten your focus off of what's important. Or maybe you haven't felt like you've been a good steward with the things that God's entrusted you with. Whatever it is, we're going to respond in a moment here. Because I think it's important that we respond when the word is given. And in a moment, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. And in response to those questions, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. My, my purpose in you raising your hand is not so I can pad my ego or that I'm going to make you do anything weird or call you out or, or anything like that. I just want to pray for you and I want to know who, who I'm praying for. But I also think it's important to acknowledge different times in our life where we, we look back at markers in our life and say, that was the day I made a decision to follow Jesus. That was the day that I was heading this way and I stopped and I started going towards him. And I think it's important. So we're going to bow our heads across this place. If you're here today and you're just being honest, you say, you know what, I, I, I need help. I haven't been a very good steward with the things that God has entrusted me with. Or maybe you feel like you've gotten off track. Or you just feel like, you feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like quitting. If that's you, would you just put your hand up across this place? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Many of you. Is there anybody else? I appreciate your honesty. Second question, you can put your hands down. The second question is this. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you're like I was and you're far away from God doing your own thing and you need to get your life right with the Lord today. Or maybe you've had a relationship with him in the past, but it's just gotten cold and stagnant and you need to get your life right with the Lord today. If that's you, would you put your hand up? I want to pray for you. Awesome. Thank you for your honesty. Is there anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you just raised your hand, you need to get your life right with Jesus today. I'm going to pray a prayer, and as I do that, I want you just to pray a prayer similar in your heart. 
It doesn't need to be anything uh, um, perfect, but it's just a, a, the cry of your heart. God, today, I recognize that I'm far away from you, and I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And I'm tired today of doing my own thing, being master of my own universe. And so, Lord, today I just turn my life over to you. I surrender to you, Jesus. I give you every part of who I am. I thank you that Jesus came and died a death on a cross, but rose to life again so that I could have forgiveness of sin. And I can have the Holy Spirit living inside me. Lord, today we just turn away from anything that isn't pleasing to you. We just run to you, Jesus. We run to you. We run to you. God, what you set into motion this morning, I pray you see it through to its completion. If you raise your hand for that first question, disagree with me. Lord, again, we just pray a prayer of simple surrender to you. God, forgive us. Forgive us for allowing our eyes to wander, Lord, our hearts to wander. God, forgive us for being lazy. Forgive us at times for not being the steward, a good steward for the, with the things that you've given us. Lord, for those in this room, I believe there's somebody here today that wants to quit on their marriage. And I, I just believe that it only takes one person to break that cycle. I pray in Jesus' name that it would happen now. I pray you restore that marriage today in Jesus' name. God, for those on the brink and just feel like quitting and throwing the towel, I pray, Lord, today, whether they raise their hand or not, I pray for strength, divine strength, Lord. I pray for your power. I pray for your love. I pray for a clarity in their mind in Jesus' name. I pray a greater measure of Christ-likeness in each one of our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Lord, would we, be, would we live our lives worthy of the calling that you've placed on us? Lord, I, we would live our lives, Father, doing the things that you've called us to do, the reason you put us on this earth. In Jesus' name, we love you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. This is the Life Church Podcast. 